I told him thank you for the Vyahaka and seven blessings on his head. Home. Um, today's, today's portion, Shabbat Shalom, my boy. Today's portion is Vayeshev. It starts in Genesis 37 1 and goes all the way to the end of 40. Vayeshev means settle because it refers to Jacob settling in the land of Canaan. Um, men, there have been many teachings done, and we won't repeat them, very well done, including at this Bima, about Joseph being a forerunner of Yeshua and all the lovely parallels between his work and Yeshua's work. But we're going to talk today about before he did his work, the stuff that happened to bring him to that uh, position. But first I want to ask you a question. It's, it's related. Has anybody ever seen a picture of St. Nicholas? <laughs> not the one of the Christmas cards, not that. Real ones. I see a picture of St. Nicholas. Oh, you were with me on talk. You, you were with me, in fact. Yes. He was the bishop. He was real. He's been dead 1,700 years, but he was real. And he's a godly man. He was the bishop of Turkey. He was born, born in Moira, Greece. And he is revered in the Mediterranean world for his godliness. One of the things that makes me respect him is that they say he was invited to the Council of Nicaea and refused to go. He wasn't interested in, you guys, you guys go here for the doctrine. I got people to lead to the Lord. He was a constant uh, teacher of the gospel. And I wanted to see what it looked like. When, when Rosemary and I went to uh, the top of uh, Gassamola to, uh, last year, we, went, we were right outside the Church of San Nicolau, but we didn't go there. So this year, I went back and I, wanted, I went in because I wanted to see the effigies, what does he look like. And there's another one. I missed the one. I was over on the booth as well. There's another big church of his in uh, San Nicolau, Bari, where some of his bones are. And the rest of them, if you did in Venice, you see the church where his, the rest of his bones are. Um, they split them off. They couldn't agree where to put them. And he's not even Italian. He's Greek. I saw that they have images of him that are from the Byzantine era and others, you know, that are pre-Middle uh, uh, Ages and some that are Renaissance. But the oldest ones, the ones that are closest to when he lived, particularly the Byzantine era, 330 A.D., you know what he looks like? He's tall, dark, Greek-Semitic, and good-looking. <laughs> I don't know how he ended up short, fat, and pink. I don't know how he <laughs> Likely today's so Joseph looked like him probably. I don't know if Joseph was tall, but it says he's dark. He was handsome. He was uh, being attempt. They, a woman, an older woman, attempted to seduce him. He was because of good looking. But Saint Nicholas looked like that, by the way. Uh, okay, this. <laughs> hey, I'm Mediterranean too. So <laughs> sweet. Uh, starting in chapter 37, we have the story of Joseph um, and his, his youth, living with his brothers, and his dream, his two dreams, the dream of the sheaves and the dream of the sun, moon, and stars. We have the narrative of where he interprets those very boldly to his brothers. He didn't have to interpret them to his father. If you go read the narrative, his father instantly goes, what are you talking about? Me and your mother are going to bow to you. He didn't even have to interpret it to Jacob. He knew what he was saying. Um, 
we have a description of him in the cattletail. Uh, Rabbi Kahn's notes that he puts in our bulletin are a perfect summary of this kid's youth. A spoiled rat, tattletale, homebody uh, that needed to be mature. Um, we have, and I'm going to read to you the, the little bit of narrative, the interchange, where Israel sends him to check on his brothers. And keep in mind, when the scripture, the, Jacob is the only person in the scripture that gets called by both names, Jacob and Israel. His name before God we named him. Uh, and anytime they call him Israel, it's not 100%, but mostly, something pivotal is going to happen. So we have a place here where he's called Israel, not Jacob. Uh, and he sends Joseph to uh, Shechem to go check on the brothers. Um, and he ends up going up just to Shechem, but all the way to the time. Uh, we see in the rest of that chapter, the brothers plot to kill him. The elders have a little more sense. Reuben begs them not to shed blood. Judah decides, well, if we can't, if we can't kill him, get rid of him, let's make a few shackles on the deal, we'll sell him away. And they put him in the pit, and that does happen. We see also him being sold to Egypt uh, after a couple of exchanges. It says he was sold to the Ishmaelites, and then later it says he was sold from the Midianites to the Egyptians. Uh, there's not a mistake in scripture. Caravans had clusters of uh, all kinds of migrant, migrant people, and it's quite possible the Ishmaelites bought him, they caravaned together, the Ishmaelites paid for his keep all the way to Egypt, the Midianites bought him and then sold him to profit to, to Egypt. Not unusual. Scripture has no mistakes. We see the cold with animal blood that the other brothers give Jacob. Um, and we see Jacob's extraordinary grief. We see the little narrative about his, his, when he thought his son was dead, he would not accept comfort from any of his kids. He was saying, I'm going to go to my grave morning my son. Then we have a side episode in the chapter 38 into one of the brothers. It's not really a side episode, but it looks like. Judah, um, who uh, had his first son, Aramir Tamar, Aramir died. And the scripture is very specific. He was evil. He marries his second son to Tamar. Uh, and even though we don't have uh, the Torah about liberate marriage yet, the tradition was there. It was expected that if a woman marries into a house and the first husband dies, other brothers are responsible to marry to her and produce children to her house. So she's not alone in her old age. So she has a son. Onan marries her and did not produce a son because he was greedy, willful. And then Judah, worse than that, when it's time for his youngest son, Shalat, to marry her, I guess he's worried Shalat is going to die too. Everybody, every son I marry, this woman dies, so I don't think I'll give my third son. But she had a right to that third son, and she even waited for him. And we have a situation where Tamar seduces Judah to produce a son to her house because he owes her one. Um, right or wrong, but we see Judah uh, sinfully goes aside and allows himself to be seduced by what he thinks is a temple prostitute. Then jo in uh, 39, Joseph is sold to Potiphar, and that story has been taught many times. Uh, what struck me is that it says uh, three times it says Potiphar is an Egyptian. And it emphasizes Egyptians thought, you know, Jews, Hebrews, they're below, beneath contempt. They smell like sheep, they eat meat, they don't have the education of us Egyptians, they don't know the glories of our God, they're garbage. And yet Joseph finds favor in the house of Potiphar, who's not even an ordinary Egyptian. He's a 
He's the uh, officer of the court of Tehran. Uh, and then we have the story of Potiphar's wife who attempts to seduce him because he looked like St. Nicholas, apparently. Um, and he ends up in prison. And then in 40, we have the story of the cupbearer and the baker have dreams. And it always struck me odd that Joseph, after all this problem he has telling dreams to his brothers, as soon as they tell him they had dreams, oh, dreams come from God. Let me, let me hear them. Dreams are of God. God, God talks through dreams. Last time God talked through dreams, he ended up in a pit and he ended up a slave. But he didn't give that. He still believes that this is the words of God. Um, then uh, the other thing that struck me in that portion is that he, multiple times, he's now starting to talk differently than the spoiled boy that was in Canaan. Because he now says, every time he said, I'm a Hebrew. Dreams come from Elohim. That's the God of the Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew. I can, I, I've heard from God. I can talk to you from God. Um, you know, it was struck me, the rabbis wrote, yeah, it's funny, when Moses, who was in a position of power all of his life, when he was thrown out of power and ends up in the desert, what does he say to Jethro's daughters? He didn't say, I'm a Hebrew. What did he say? I'm an Egyptian. So Moses, uh, they both went, both of them, they went from a position of comfort and power into a position of, uh, uh, they're going to burn some stuff. They're going to be uh, lowered until God's ready for them. And they, Joseph was the honorable one, one of the most. When you have time, go look. There are two sets of dreams in this story and two sets of listeners, the house of the, house of the sons of Jacob and the, the, the pagans in the pit of the, of the prison. Who's the ones that believe Joseph? It wasn't our people, it was other people. There are two sets of women tempting a man to sin. One of those men was still living at home in comfort in Canaan with his family. With his what does he do? He sins. The other one, Joseph, is in the pagan environment. What does he do? He does not sin. Go look at those yourself because there's lots of little details in those. I got to thinking about Jacob a little bit. In modern terms, you know, some of us here are parents. Many of us here, even if we're not parents, we're praying for a relative, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, a kid, a sibling, someone. Um, in, in, though, in modern terms, this kid, Joseph, he was the daydreamer. He wasn't prepared for life. He couldn't make a living. Scripture spends some lines saying he was a youth, still in the house with the women. He wasn't allowed to shepherd without his brothers overseeing him, etc. He was in conflict with his family, and some of us, we have stuff going on where a person we're praying for has been in conflict with our family, and we were gone from us in that situation. Uh, even with his father, because his father was the one that said, no, 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 I don't, that's, you think I'm going to bow to you? He ended up in the most pagan part of the world, most ungodly environment, where the entire religion is focused on death. Uh, he's living in servitude. He's, there's an older woman trying to seduce him, and when it's all over, he's an unemployable ex-con. <laughs> what could be worse? What could be worse than the situation? He said, right? Worse than that. It could be worse. Jacob was told he's dead. Jacob can't even pray for him anymore because he thinks he's dead. So, I mean, what struck me... I don't know what you are, what you're going through. Some of us in this congregation are going through some hard things. Our kids, our relatives, whatever. Some of us are already at a hard point. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. 
Some of us, I guarantee Jacob couldn't pray, right? He was dead. Some of us, you know, Jacob was probably thinking, if I had only, if I didn't send him out alone, he didn't have any skills, if I had said him better words, of, you'll see your brothers come home, at least I know you're safe. Scripture doesn't say he said any of that. I'm going to read you the narrative. He didn't say any of that. But he probably thought it. Um, but the rabbis underscored that no matter what Jacob wanted, he wanted Joseph to be protected. He sheltered and spoiled, etc. God made sure that he had to go through these things. Even when Joseph's out in the fields looking for his brother and gets lost, he could have gone home. God sent a man, and I'm going to read you those lines. He sent a man to make sure that he got in that situation where he connected with his brothers and the angry brothers put him in a pit and he ends up in Egypt. He had to go through that. For us, it doesn't matter if we're troubled over our relationships with us. If I had done this, if I had said that, if I didn't do this, it doesn't matter. God put a man who the rabbi said was the angel Gabriel. Who knows? God made sure this had to happen. Uh, whether we wanted it or not, whether Jacob wanted it or not. Jacob is not calling shots. God is. And it isn't because God wants to teach Joseph something or punish him or punish Jacob. It's nothing like that. He had to be turned into the person that could be the deliverer. He had to turn into that. And if you look, wait till next chapter, the difference between him now and him then. Je- Joseph, the bladder now, the tattletale, the spoiled brat, no outdoor skills, unemployable. He ends up the viceroy of Egypt. He ends up the counselor of Pharaoh. He's the one, watch the next chapter, he's going to look, look right into the face of a man who thinks he's God and says, when I open my mouth and talk, I'll talk, I'll interpret your dream, but when I do, that's going to be my God talking. You better listen. Maybe that's what God is doing. If you're going through a situation like that, yourself, your family, whatever, maybe God is preparing somebody in your family that, as, as bad as it looks, at some point, they're going to open their mouth to the pagans around them and say, when I talk to you, it's my God talking. 